Well, it's Sunday, and some of us come from the tradition of Sunday dinner. Sunday dinner. (laughs) And if you had a mother or an auntie, maybe even a father who loves to cook, you know, that was a big deal, getting ready for the Sunday meal. I know coming up in our home, my mother would sometimes roast a chicken on Sundays. And if we had a lot of people coming over, maybe even a turkey. And she would put that chicken or that turkey in the oven. Temperature has been set. There's time. If it was turkey, maybe she started the day before or whatever, but especially with the chicken. And she would put that chicken in the oven. And then underneath that tray, there would be a drip pan. I don't know if anybody understands what a drip pan is, but the drip pan was placed in the oven to capture juices that would come out of the chicken as a result of the heat that was being applied. And so as the heat would come upon the meat, the juices within the meat would overflow, as Patrick said, and and spill over uh, the the, the pan that it's in and onto the floor of the oven. And if you don't have a pan underneath, you'll smoke up the house and then you have to clean your oven. So people put that pan under there, the drip pan, to catch the oil and the juices. And what mama would also do, there was good stuff in that juice now, because you could use that for gravy. Oh, I don't know if I got anybody to understand that. It was seasoning that you could use to drizzle on things, on the cornbread or whatever, the stuffing. There was good stuff that came from out of that drip pan. But you had to align the pan properly so that it could catch what dripped. I'm coming by here this morning at 5253 Granny White Pike in Nashville, Tennessee at Strong Tower Bible Church just to ask you, are you a drip pan? Are you aligned properly? Because I got to let you know something. For over 20, maybe even 30 years of ministry now, I've been in some heat. I've been in the oven. I've been roasted a time or two. And as a result of the roasting that comes, there's good stuff that comes out of your pastor because of the pain that he goes through. Back in the Old Testament, prophets were like billboards. Their lives communicated a message to the people. And so when you are a pastor, God will allow you to go through. Forget that when you are a person, when you are breathing, God will allow you to go through some things. But see, when you align yourself with, and dare I say even under, someone that's going through pressure, there's a blessing. There are drippings of blessings that can come upon you if you're aligned properly. Mm. What this means is that you've got to be under some authority. You've got to be under mama. You've got to be under daddy. You got to be even under who your boss is. You may not like the boss, 
may not like him or her as a person, but you have to respect the position. Because whenever God's going to do something, he sends the blessing from the head down. You see, we have people today who they want to be in authority, but they don't want to be under authority. Uh, I should have got a couple more amens than that. They, they want to be in authority, but they don't always want to be under authority. But being under authority is really where your blessings, your drippings come. Because even Jesus was under authority. The Bible says that the head of Christ is God. And so when God sends the anointing, he anoints the head and the head. It rolls down to the rest of the body. So as you align yourself properly to your covering, that the anointing that rests and falls and comes down upon Aaron's beard, Psalm 133, it will come down to the rest of the body. God operates through order and authority. That's bad words today. Those are bad words, being under authority, being submissive today. I'm going to close this message by asking, who's your pastor? Because we have people today that they think they can do this spiritual thing for Jesus, but not doing it Jesus' way. Jesus' way is to have under shepherds, pastors, to be a part of a sheepfold called a local church. Because renegade Christians don't last long. Got to be in a family, got to be under covering. And today, I want to talk about how God has blessed my life because of the people I've chose to put myself under. Um, The drippings from these folks I'm going to talk about today really are instrumental in where I am and who I am today. And I pray that 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 theology of dripping, which I believe has, has sat on this church since 1995, that God will continue to bless because of the leaders in this church, the elders. We got good men, their wives, awesome folk, that you're under a place, you're in a place where the drippings can come down to you and, and you can imitate our faith and follow us as we follow Christ. We are not the Christ. That's what John the Baptist said. I, I need to let y'all know quickly. Yeah, God's using me, but I'm not the Christ. I can't even carry his shoes. So don't get it twisted now. This ain't no hero worship or pastor worship around here but we do operate in the authority that God has given us. So today, I just want to talk about, uh, within our series, Unwrapping Black Presence in the Bible. I want to talk about the gift of black preachers. I just want to talk about the gift of black preachers. I, I came up under black preachers. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't have white preachers and Latino preachers in my life and Asian preachers. I did. I had professors and and so many people I came under. Uh, And part of my story is that I've been under some remarkable uh, black preachers. And so we're going to take a journey today. We're going to talk about the gift of black preachers from the Old Testament first. Then we're going to talk about the gift of black preachers from the New Testament. And then I'll close by sharing a couple of gifts that have been in my life. Uh, So, if you have your Bibles, let's go over to Zephaniah chapter 1. Somebody says, Zephyr who? I said, Zephaniah chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament, if that helps you. Zephaniah chapter 1. And here's what I want you to know about Zephaniah before we read a couple of verses from his oracle. Zephaniah, his name means 
Jehovah has hidden or the Lord hides. That the Lord hid him. That, that's his name, Zephaniah. Yahweh has hidden. Yahweh hides. Within the list of the minor prophets, he's the ninth minor prophet. Now, when the Bible or, or when theologians call these men minor prophets, that doesn't mean they had a minor message. No, they had a major message, but they just said it in fewer words. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those are the quote-unquote major prophets, but Nahum and Jonah and Obadiah and Zephaniah, because their oracles, their prophecies are shorter, they're called minor, but don't think that they didn't have a major message. Zephaniah came along during the days of King Josiah when there was a mini-revival in the southern kingdom of Judah. And so there was a time of people coming back to God, yet and still, judgment was imminent. God had warned the people over and over again to repent of their idolatry, but they would not. So God had to order up a captivity, a Babylonian captivity. And so Zephaniah's message was a message of warning. He kept talking about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord was a day of judgment for the Hebrew people. That yes, they would go into captivity for 70 years to the Babylonians. So, so it was a message of warning, not only to Judah, but also to other surrounding nations that God is holy and he doesn't play. But also as part of the day of the Lord, not only was there a call of judgment and captivity and exile, there was also a call of renewal and return because God is not all wrath any more than he is all mercy. He is perfectly balanced in all of his attributes and how he treats his children in the, under the old covenant and even under the new covenant. He disciplines us in love and he disciplines us unto change. And for the nation, they were being disciplined unto change. And God says, even though because of your unbelief, your stubbornness, your wickedness, your worship of Baal, I am sending you away. But because I am loving, because I am gracious and merciful, I will bring you back again to the land of Israel. And that's what Zephaniah's message is basically about. But what I want you to see today is that in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, we learn more about Zephaniah than any other minor prophet in Scripture. Because in one verse, he tells us a lot about himself, which again, was not common when you read the minor prophets. And what we're going to see today is that Zephaniah, not only was he a prophet of God, that is a mouthpiece of God, one who told the truth in the present Two people who were listening right then and there, but he also spoke of the truth that was to come, futuristic knowledge. And so this man was God's mouthpiece. He was a prophet. But today you're probably going to learn something that I didn't learn until recently myself, and that is that Zephaniah was a black prophet. Zephaniah was black. <sighs> Did you know that? But that's why we're here, right, to learn the Bible and to read the Bible with new lenses because we've been so conditioned in our culture 
to read the Bible and, and, and to see images that are not necessarily biblical because we've been conditioned in the West to see certain images when we see the people of God, namely Caucasian people. But that's not always the case. So we're going to let the Bible do the talking. So Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So there we go right there. We see him sharing who he is as he's writing his oracle. And probably he has to, in his mind, spend a little bit of time telling you who he is because there were probably people then, as there are people now, who didn't want to give him credit and juice and respect because of his ethnicity. There are people known as Ethiopian Jews. So let's get that into our mind. There are people who are known as Ethiopian Jews. And when Zephaniah says that his father's name was Cushai or Cushi, that could have been a nickname for his dad because Cushi or Cushai comes from Cush. And as we've been in this series learning, going back to Genesis chapter 10, Cush is one of the sons of Ham. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And from those three sons, the Bible says, the entire planet was populated after the flood. So each and every one of us trace our lineage back to one of those three sons and ultimately to Adam and Eve. And so Ham had uh, four children, and one of them was named Cush. Cush in the Bible can be transliterated as Ethiopia. And this can also be translated as black or dark. And so Ethiopia, which is on the continent of Africa, we read of this over and over again in the Bible. As a matter of fact, we learned several weeks ago that the Garden of Eden, no one knows where it was located, but we have several clues in the book of Genesis. And one of them, it talks about how there was a river that ran through the garden within the land of Cush or Ethiopia, somewhere in Africa is where we all come from. And so when he says Cushai is his daddy, he's saying that his daddy is an African. His daddy is a, a, a Afro-Semitic man. And again, throughout the scriptures, we've seen that there's been a strong correlation between Hamitic people and Semitic people. I won't take the time to review all of that, but I'll just give you one. Joseph, the Hebrew, married Asenath, the Egyptian or the African, and from them came two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were added to the 12 tribes of Israel. So there is a Afro or Hamitic presence within the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, again, it's not strange to know that there were and there are Ethiopian Jews. There are Jews right now in Ethiopia who are black. And there are Jews right now in Israel, Palestine, who are black. Now, many Jews that we see today are European Jews, if you will, coming from Russia and Poland. And, and, and so they, they are Jewish as well, but there are also African Jews. A few weeks ago, uh, Clifton Harris invited me to the Urban League's luncheon. I think I told you about that luncheon. It was amazing. 
And I'm so blessed. I think this brother has just been entrusted with about $5 million to, to do some renovations in Nashville, some housing. And we need to give God some praise. And let's pray for that man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Everybody don't get $5 million to renovate the community, but through the Urban League. And his speaker that day was a successful businessman who happened to be a Jewish man, but he was darker than me. So he was a Hebrew, a black Hebrew. So in God's diverse kingdom, he's teaching all of us how to look at the Bible as well as life with new kingdom lenses and not always our biased lenses. We all have biases, but we have to be honest when God confronts us about our biases and allow the truth to set us free. So this man's father was named Cushai or Cushy, which may have been a nickname for him because he looked black, so they may have called him black. Because we'll see in the New Testament, there was a man in the church at Antioch whose name was Simon, and they called him Niger, which means black. But we'll touch on that in a minute. But as I was looking at that, it reminded me of a baseball player back in the day who played for the New York Yankees named Whitey Ford. You've never seen a brother named Whitey, but a white dude was named Whitey Ford. That was his name. He's in the Hall of Fame. That was his nickname. And so that's why I'm believing when we see Cushy or Cushy, it could be a formal name, could be a nickname, but we have to stop and pause right there. Most of my books on my shelf skip past Cushai, the father of Zephaniah, and run quickly to his great-grandfather, Hezekiah. We'll talk about Hezekiah in a minute. But, but why can't we stop and pause there? Because, again, we've been so centered to believe that Christianity is so Western and so white that there's no way that an Old Testament prophet could have been Hamitic or African. And I just say, why not? <laughs> why not? So he is a black prophet. And some people would say, Pastor, what's the point? Well, it is a point because if it wasn't a point, it wouldn't be recorded in the Bible. And so all of us are talking about every word is inspired. Well, even them words too. And so for a lot of us, it gives us hope and encouragement and even a sense of godly pride to know that we have always, as African people, been included in the redemptive plan of God from the beginning all the way till now. And so it's important for us to unpack these truths. And yes, he's the son of Hezekiah. And, uh, and what that means is this man is connected to royalty because Hezekiah was a king, a great king in Judah. You remember him, he got sick and he was about to die. Isaiah said, get your house in order. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and started praying. And, and God says, I'm going to give him 15 more years. Okay. Now, now, with those years, he didn't do much because he let the Babylonians come in and just walk all around the place and, and looking at all the gold and the silver. And Isaiah said, man, man, who them people you just let all up in the house of God? Who are they? And Hezekiah, who's been healed, says, oh, those are the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Isaiah was like, man, you shouldn't have done that because they're going to come back here and rob this place. You know you can't let everybody in your house, right? Because <laughs> some people are plotting when they come in your crib. Y'all on spring break? How long y'all going to be gone? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so Hezekiah, you know, he, but, but above all, he, he was a godly king. And when you go to Matthew chapter 1, you see that Hezekiah from the, the line of Judah 
is in the lineage of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. So this black prophet who is Ethiopian and Semitic, he is related to royalty through Jesus Christ and Hezekiah. So this is just good stuff to me. Well, let's look at chapter 2, verse 12. Because when he's speaking, he has to be God's man. He has to say the truth to whomever, whenever. Even if that means he's got to speak the truth to his own people, where he comes from, his people come from Ethiopia. Look at chapter 2, verse 12, as he's pronouncing judgment on various nations. He says, you Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword or God's sword. He's a battle axe. And so God is saying there will be judgment even on Ethiopia because if God will spank his own kids called Judah, what makes you think he won't spank the other nations as well? And so everybody's got to get right with God. But then later in chapter 3, verse 10, we see that after there has been exile, after there has been excommunication and, and being uh, placed into Babylonian captivity, God says, I'm going to bring you back. And look with me at Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 10. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, there it is again, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. So God is saying, I'm going to bring them back. And when they come back, they're coming back with an offering to God because they've learned something through the discipline. They're grateful for God, and, and they're coming back. So beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, where they have been dispersed, where the Jews have been dispersed, they're coming back home. So that's Zephaniah's message. And, and here's the thing, though. Everyone didn't want to align themselves under the message of this prophet. <laughs> everyone didn't want to, to get down and give him an amen uh, based on the oracle that God had told him to communicate. But again, I'm here to let you know that who you align yourself with, who you place yourself under, has great bearings on how God operates in your life. And so we saw from the Old Testament um, a black prophet, a black preacher named Zephaniah. Now let's go quickly to the New Testament and let's see the gift of black preachers from the New Testament. And what I'm sharing to you, I've never heard when I was in school, I've been blessed to go to school. Uh, undergrad, grad school, master's level, doctoral level, but these things just did not come out. And, and I said that a few weeks ago that my library is a little scarce of men and women of color commenting on scripture. And one of our Anglo members uh, bought me a, a book, Rich in Theology, written by a black woman, and I'm so grateful. And, and, and she's such a fiery person. She also bought your pastor a shirt with that book that said, break up with white Jesus. And I said, man, uh, uh, that's all right. Uh, and, and it's got a white Jesus on there. And so when your white members give you black theology books <laughs> and a shirt that says break up with white Jesus, I think I'm doing something halfway right. At Strong Tower. Amen. Amen. Oh, boy. But again, I want kingdom lenses to see the scriptures. And in the New Testament, there are several black preachers. Um, there is Simon called Niger. We'll talk about him in a couple of weeks in the church of Antioch. 
in the book of Acts chapter 13. There was also Lucius, or as I like to say, Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is in northern Africa. These two men were leaders in the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch, where people call Christians first, that really was one of the first true multi-ethnic, multi-racial churches uh, in the world that's found in the pages of Scripture. But we'll talk about that in weeks to come. Uh, and then, if uh, any King James readers here, any King James readers? Uh, uh, s- s- some of y'all say, if the King James is good enough for Moses, it's good enough for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Moses spoke with Elizabethan language. <laughs> well, the King James Version um, talks about one of Jesus' 12 disciples, uh, Simon the Canaanite. The Canaanites, again, who they come from? Ham. They were the people who occupied the promised land. We talked about Rahab last week. She was a Canaanite, a woman of color. And so it's possible that Jesus, as he was putting his staff together, he selected another African Hebrew man to be a part of his team, Simon the Canaanite. But in other versions, they they changed that to Canaanite, as if he came from Cana. And so there's a lot of mystery around that one disciple of the Lord. Sometimes he's called Zealot, Simon the Zealot, which speaks of that he had like this uh, 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 political uh, uh, burden and and, and really uh, a temper that that, that he uh, was a part of a political party that was known to carry knives, the Zealots. And so Jesus has some mavericks on his squad. Now, just like y'all, just like me, we, we, we tore up from the flow up, but he still chooses to use us and put us on his squad. Jesus has some cutthroat dudes. And so, so Simon the Zealot, or, or one who's hot with politics, carried a knife. And so when Jesus was arrested, or before he was arrested, uh, they said, we got two knives, master. And so we know Peter had one of them knives, right? Because whack. He cuts off Malchus's ear. But the other knife, some commentators say, belonged to Simon the Zealot, who was part of this political party. But, but here's the thing about zeal. Zeal not only speaks of being hot or heated politically, like we know in this country today, people are heated politically uh, uh, with this side or that side, but it can also speak of heat by way of complexion, that he was in the sun. He, he, Simon the Zealot, zealous, hot, burned with the sun. So why can't Jesus have someone on his squad who looked like me? But anyway, we're not going to stop and talk about him. I want to talk about another brother from Scripture named Apollos. Yeah, let's talk about Apollos. Acts chapter 18, verse 24 says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So we see this man, Apollos. Pastor, what makes you think he's a man of color, a brother? Well, the Bible says first he's a Jew. And again, it's possible for Jews to not only be Semitic, but also to be Afro-Semitic or Euro-Semitic. So he's a Jew, but he got a Greek name, Apollos. Apollos, that's a Greek name. And then the Bible says he was born in Alexandria. Well, where's Alexandria? Alexandria is a city in Egypt, and Egypt is in Africa. 
So there's a strong chance that Apollos, who was born in Africa, was an African, but he was also a Hebrew man. So he's Afro-Semitic, but he has the greatest conversion of all, not to, to, to throw shade on the culture, but he becomes a Christian man, a follower of Jesus, Jesus, the Hebrew, Savior of the world. And so when this man comes uh, into the area the Bible lets us know about him. He has a Greek name, he's Jewish, and he's from Africa. And this is where we get our Apollos Training Institute from in this church. Because the Bible says this man was eloquent in the word. So he was a, a mighty orator. But the Bible lets us know he didn't really have the full gospel, the full story of Christ. Because all he knew, as we'll read in a minute, was the baptism of John. So he had part one, but he didn't have part two. And even as he was operating with part one, he was still very zealous in how he preached. And so he was mesmerizing. He was a golden throat, and he spoke. And the beautiful thing, too, is that within this one man, all three sons of Noah are represented. You see Japheth represented through his name Apollos the Greeks. You see Ham represented through where he comes from in Africa, in Egypt. And then you see Shem represented by the fact that he's Jewish. So I love this man, Apollos, here. Uh, 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 uh. But then the Bible says in chapter 18, verse 25, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife team, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. I got to stop right here. This tells me as great as this man was, he was still teachable. As mighty as he was, as eloquent as he was, as much as he knew, he still realized he didn't know everything. And he was humble enough to let this husband and wife team take him aside and teach him. It just wasn't the man. It was the man and his wife, Aquila and Priscilla. And my man, like the drip pan, placed himself under their authority, under their teaching. And the drippings that they learned from Paul, which Paul got from Jesus, that dripping just came on down through Aquila and Priscilla and then hit Apollos as well. I just need to know all you under and in the drip pan. The Bible goes on to say in verse 27, and when he desired to cross Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Do you see how it's working here? People are under his teaching and they're greatly encouraged in the grace of God. But that wouldn't have happened had he not come under the leadership of Aquila and Priscilla, who came under the leadership of Paul, who came under the leadership of Jesus Christ. So God sends his anointing drip, drip, drip from the head down into Paul and upon Aquila and Priscilla and now upon Apollos and now upon the people in Achaia. I just need to know who you're aligned under because it will greatly impact and influence your life. Well, let me close by sharing with you the gifts, because God many times takes his greatest gifts 
and wraps them in human flesh. And I want to talk about some black preachers in my life who dripped on me. And I wouldn't be what I am or who I am or where I am today. Not saying that that's much, but I wouldn't be what I am without these men in my life. And again, now this is not exclusive. There are so many. There are women as well, people of other ethnicities, but I want to focus on these black preachers. And the first one I want to introduce you to is my grandfather, the Reverend Hezekiah Williamson Sr. Hezekiah, which we read of today. You guys have a picture of my grandfather? There he is right there. That's my grandfather. Um, the pastor, the founder and the pastor of New Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, that was my family's church. And I grew up in that church as a young boy. And, uh, and that was where I was introduced to the culture of the black church. There's a culture of the black church. So as I'm a little boy, um, I don't understand when the mothers would get happy. I didn't understand it. I would laugh at the mothers when they would start shouting and jumping because they would oftentimes sit on the front row like our mothers over here. And they would get happy and they would jump and they would shout and me and my brothers would elbow each other. We didn't understand. Because just about every Sunday, they would have in the service a time to shout. And the musicians knew how to play the music just right so people could get their praise and their shout on. Anybody come from a church like that? Anybody come from a church like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there was so much pent-up anxiety and stress and everything. You couldn't go to a counselor. And back then, folks didn't have counselors. You had to go to the wonderful counselor. You had to come to the altar. You had to give it up to Jesus. And you would leave out better than how you came in. So you would worship your way through, as my brother Will talked about, through the stress and the strain. And so that's where uh, I was introduced to the black church, and, and we had a white Jesus right above the baptistry pool, because the baptism pool was right on the stage. You pull that thing back, and the water was right there. They have a couple of mirrors so you could see out there. And then there was white Jesus and white John the Baptist right there. I grew up with that. Didn't know any better. But I was lost up in that church. I was lost. Them pews were hard. Wasn't no cushions. And you sat there. And the only time I knew church was about to be over, when my granddaddy started hooping. I'm not talking about basketball. I know y'all watching NCAA. But my granddaddy was a hooper. <laughs> and when he started, mm -hmm, then I knew, okay, he, he coming to a close. <laughs> and my mother would give me 50 cents for offering, two quarters. I put one quarter in the offering. There was a candy store. The devil is a lie. There was a candy store across the street. And I go in there, man, you know what you could get with a quarter back then? Lemon heads, now later, jaw break. You could get all that stuff for 20. Man, you could be set with a quarter. That's how I grew up. But then when he passed away, my family started going to another church under a preacher named Joseph Brown. Uh, this was right across from Pimlico Racetrack on Belvedere Avenue uh, in Baltimore. And Joseph Brown was a Bible teacher. And so he was like a Bible answer man back in the day. And he had a radio broadcast. And, uh, and he was also a great evangelist. So every Sunday, he would give an altar call for salvation every week. He would, he would share the gospel. He would fish right inside the church every week. Now, many times you see the same fish coming up to get saved week after week. But he would give the gospel every week. But I sat in that church lost. 
because there were some pretty girls in that church. And so my, my family would make me come to church. And this was right around the time my entire family got born again. My family gets born again. My older sister, Kathy, found Christ by reading a track that was in a phone booth. She came home, shared the gospel with my family. My dad uh, rededicated his life to Christ. My mother became a Christian. My sister, my other sister became a Christian. So I'm seeing everybody get saved. And I'm like, I don't know about all that now. I don't know about all that. Y'all carrying these big Bibles around. I don't know if I want all that. And they would start leaving gospel tracks in the bathroom. So you go into the bathroom, and there's a gospel track of a football player who gave his life to Jesus. And I'm like, I don't want to read that. Where's Sports Illustrated? And so that's what was going on in my family under this man here. And through this man, he had a relationship with Jerry Falwell, believe it or not. And so he would uh, uh, have uh, opportunities for Liberty University to promote at this all-black church in Baltimore, Maryland. And so that's when I heard about Liberty and college for a weekend in this church. And so when I would go on college for a weekend at Liberty in Lynchburg, Virginia, it came from this church. But then coming from this man, I go to the next man, Evangelist Pat Kelly. Evangelist Pat Kelly played baseball for the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, he had a, a conversion to Christ, and he started preaching the gospel to his teammates and having Bible studies in the clubhouse and uh, played for multiple teams. And when he retired, he had a, a, a ministry of reaching young people. And so I went to a camp that he had sponsored in Baltimore. And I went there. It was a citywide camp. I went there to meet girls because I'm like, man, we're going to see girls from everywhere. Oh, yeah, and they had big buses and stuff, busloads of kids from all over Baltimore. And so, you know, I'm trying to make sure my athletic game is tight because I want to show off, you know, uh, on a basketball court, a football field, not near the pool because brother couldn't swim. And so, I, you know, do what I had to do. <laughs> and under this brother who would preach to us and share his testimony, he would always cry. He was so passionate for God. And I'm listening to the gospel. Ah. But then they had these smaller classes during the day where they separated the guys from the girls. So there was nobody to impress. And I'm listening to these men share the gospel. The man who shared the gospel with me was uh, Deacon Worley, who is Stacy Allen, who used to attend the church, now lives back in Baltimore. Her dad, who went to Manor Church under Joe Brown, he shared the gospel with me from Isaiah 53, and that's when the gospel hit me. And so one night, they give an invitation, and I come forward to receive Jesus Christ. And so it was under this man's ministry. And then another black man I was under, his name was Wayne Cockrell. He planted a church, and my parents were uh, um, the foundation members of that church. And my dad ended up being a deacon for him until the day he died. And from Wayne Cockrell, I'm standing there next to him there, I learned how to respect the Bible. He taught me how to respect the text. He was so into making sure the Bible was exegeted or interpreted properly. So from him, and so when I went to college, I would come back home and come to church, and I would ask all my Bible questions to him, and he would open up the Bible and show me what the Bible says. So, so much, and, and, and he's still there in Baltimore, and every now and then I get to go up, and I need to bring him back to come and preach. It's been so long since he's preached. And then there's another man, another black preacher, Dr. Tony Evans, um, who has been a father, a spiritual father to me. Because when we were doing rap music back in the 80s, let the church say 80s. Uh-huh. Some of y'all weren't, weren't even born then. Uh, I was doing rap music, gospel rap. 
And he was one of the, the first churches to bring our group to Dallas, Texas, and let us minister not only to the youth group, but also to the thousands that he pastored on Sunday morning. He, he would let us rap there. So from those days, he kind of became a, a pastor to me and the guys in the group. And so whenever I'm going through something, I can call him, I can text him, uh, and he'll be there for me. And, and I've got all of his books. He's written, I don't know how many books, but God is using this man globally and as well as nationally. But then there was another brother, Dr. Ken Hutcherson. Uh, Dr. Ken Hutcherson pastored Antioch Bible Church in Seattle, Washington. And the way I got to know Hutch was through Sherman Smith. Sherman Smith, who played professional football, played alongside of this guy. You've heard Sherman's testimony. Sherman became a Christian. Uh, uh, Hutch breaks, his knee is messed up, leaves football, gets into the ministry, starts a church. And Sherman is one of those, again, early uh, members of that church and was discipled by Ken Hutcherson. And so, again, I'm touched not only by Hutch, but I'm touched through Sherman. And also, Pastor Jerry and Sister Donna sat under Ken Hutcherson for years, and I would say discipled our executive pastor. And then uh, the chaplain for the Titans was also under Ken Hutcherson, uh, James Mitchell. So this man right here, he just, again, he, he, God allowed him to drip on all of us. And I remember one day, because Hutch was so bold, he played linebacker in the NFL, but he was a linebacker in the kingdom of God too now. Oh, he didn't play. He wasn't afraid of anything or anybody. And, and I remember I said, man, Lord, I, I, I want a double portion of the spirit that is on Ken Hutcherson. So I remember one day, and, and another reason I'm, I'm drawn to him is because he was one of the first brothers I saw pastoring a multiracial church and remaining authentically black. I won't touch that. <laughs> so I learned from him, and, and I said, I, I, I want a double portion. I remember him after having been stricken with cancer. And I was in his home, and I said, Hutch, man, would you pray over me, man? And he prayed over me, and, and he would come here and preach. And so, again, I've been so fortunate to be exposed to great men of God. Well, here's another one, too. Uh, Dr. Freddie Haynes, who passed his Friendship West in Dallas, Texas. Uh, uh, I know him from afar. This is one of the great, greatest homileticians in the world. Uh, uh, he, he preaches without notes every Sunday. Many times he memorizes the text that he's preaching from. And he never preaches the same sermon twice because he, he's like a child of hip hop and he likes Jay-Z and these rappers. And so he freestyles his sermon every week. But it is biblical. It is sound. It is practical. It's right there. I've never heard or seen anything like it. He's unscripted. But here's the biggest thing I got from Freddie Haynes. He combines Jesus and justice in a way I had never seen before in my life. He makes the kingdom relevant to issues that are happening in the community. And so I learned from him about Jesus and justice. I, I could never preach like this man. Amazing orator. But then there's another guy, Reverend James Meeks. Reverend James Meeks in Chicago of Salem Baptist Church. He doesn't know me personally. But if I find out he's preaching somewhere around, I'm trying to get there. But back in the early days, when I would go to the Urban Alternative Conference in Dallas, Texas, Dr. Evans would bring him in to preach. 
And so uh, I would sit under his preaching and, and I would be so glad, glad to know that he was on the roster of the preachers. And his church, I mean, at one time they had like 14,000 members right on the south side of Chicago. They're doing community development, outreach all over the place. But man, what I learned from this guy is whatever you want the people of God to do, you got to preach on it. Preach on it and then call them to respond to it. That's why we had a room full of folk last week down in the uh, fellowship hall to pack those food boxes because I preached on it and then called you to it. And we had to turn some of y'all away. That's what I learned from this man right here. Whatever you want the people of God to do, preach on it. Put the authority of the word. My God. Okay, okay. And last but not least, I've saved the best for last. My father-in-law, Dr. Alan McFarland. Oh, man. <laughs> I remember when I was starting to date Darina in college in the 80s, and uh, the family came to the school, and I met her dad. I'd already known Alina because Alina was there, and so we're all in school, but I, I met mom and dad. And uh, I fell in love with him immediately. And as I was dating Darina and as it was getting more serious, I said, man, I not only get Darina, but I get this guy too. What a package deal. So from day one, he has been my pastor. He's been my friend. You talk about late night calls. After I talk to Jesus in the midnight hour, I can call him and he'll pick up. He's, again, one of the most kindest people, one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. But also, he's a man of integrity and character. What you see in public is what you see in private. And homeboy is an evangelist. Everywhere he goes, he's trying to tell people about Jesus. And he's in the gas station talking to people. And he's going to turn the conversation somehow. Where do you go to church? Do you know the Lord? And I mean, he's just, he's gifted by God. And every time I'm hanging with him, man, we have so much fun. So when he said to me, uh, he didn't ask me. He told me, you're going to preach my mother's eulogy. I said, absolutely, it's my honor. And as I close, I remember something he said from the pulpit one Sunday. He was preaching, and although he doesn't hoop, he gets excited. And, uh, and, and he used to be a stutterer, and he still stutters a little bit. Like Moses, he was a stutterer. But when the Spirit of God hits him, just and he'll get emotional and passionate while he's preaching, he'll start crying. And he's talked one day, and he said, you know what, church? Y'all are going to get the drippings from my life. And I sat there in that church, and it was like I had the pan saying, yes, Lord, I want the drippings from this man. If I can be anything like this man, I'll be all right. Uh, I've asked him to come preach when Dante gets married so I can focus on the wedding, so he'll be preaching that Sunday for us. Uh, last time he was here, <laughs> he's out in the hallway, and he's dressed in this real nice suit, and he's telling people, that he's Barack Obama's brother. <laughs> and people, y'all believed him. He's out there, yeah, you know, Barack Obama's brother. And I said, Pastor, why, why, why you got to do that? Yeah, man, I'm just having fun, man. That's my pastor. So Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember those, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. 
those who've spoken the word to you. So I ask you, who's over you in the Lord? Who's your pastor? Who's your covering? Because it will greatly determine the trajectory of your life. And if you say, you know what, pastor? I've been coming to this church for a minute, but I've never made it official. But man, I I believe you're my pastor. You've been my pastor, man. Um, Now, I don't care that you're black, but I know some people say, "You, you go to that church under that, but you don't care. Or you may be a black person or a Latino person. And you say, man, this is my church and that's my pastor. Well, we're going to be having um, some pre-members classes coming up. And we'd like for you to make it official because I can't make myself your pastor. Um, You've got to give me the privilege to be your pastor. And Pastor Jerry and I will confess to you, we're not perfect. But by the grace of God, we're upright. And this is a healthy house, and there's an anointing on the leadership. And we pray that uh, if it's not this house, you'll find one. But you need to be under authority so that you can be in authority the right way. Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for these men who uh, they've covered me from up close and from afar. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you ordered my steps And then you put me in the ministry to try to be a covering and a pastor and a shepherd and a teacher to others. Lord, you're amazing because if you can use me, you can use anybody. Oh, God, would you touch this house? Would you touch each person? Would you give them what they need? Might they find um, the protection, the shelter, the care, the love, the admonishment, the accountability, the things that you expect for every house? I pray that it would be strong in this place. Thank you, God, for all these gifted black preachers. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.